With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. The Two-Footed Podcast is brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider. A virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things you're geo-blocked from while keeping your data safe. So, as an example, if you are a UK expat and want access to BBC iPlayer to watch Match of the Day or ITV Hub or all four, but you get that message that says this content is not available in your location, a Liberty Shield VPN gets you around that block, allows you to watch whatever you want on those services while also keeping your data safe. And it goes further than that. It allows you to open up Netflix's entire library by just changing your IP address. Liberty Shield is the number one rated VPN provider on Trustpilot with five-star ratings across the board. So go to libertyshield.com right now, use the code EPL25 and get either the hardware package or the software package. The hardware package is a router that you plug into your existing router and any item you want to change the IP address on, be it your phone or your television, you connect that to the new Liberty Shield router. All other items can remain connected to your existing router. There's also a software package, which is instantly downloadable to your device, and you can get using straight away. Again, libertyshield.com, EPL25 for 25% off at checkout. We're also brought to you by Home of Hopcroft, a giftware and homeware company located in Scotland, but shipping worldwide. Check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and do check out the EPL Index and Anfield Index shops, which you'll find on Etsy. Use the codes EPL10 or RED10 for 10% off at checkout. And lastly, do remember to check out a Tad Predictable hosted by Tadiwa. That podcast is on this feed before every Premier League match week. And then the EPL Roundtable hosted by Kevin DeVries on its own EPL Roundtable feed. So just search EPL Roundtable in your podcast device. And that's out after every match week. Now, on with the show.
good, boys and girls. Two-footed podcast on Friday, the 31st of March. The last day of March and hopefully the last day of this crappy weather. April tomorrow. Tend to get a good April weather-wise here in Ireland. We do tend to get a good April. And I'm hoping for it. We need it this year because the weather has been ridiculously miserable all through March. January and February are always a write-off. It's cold. It's dark. March is normally all right, but it's just rained pretty much the entire month. I need a dry, warm April. I really might have to consider um, emigrating again because this is just not for me. Anyway, uh, today we have some news, some gossip. After the break, we'll have Guy Drinkle. We're going to begin with news out of Manchester United. Luke Shaw has agreed to a new contract with the club, which will take him over the decade of of, uh, service at the club. Shaw signed for Manchester United in 2014. Nine years ago, Manchester United paid £35 making him the most expensive teenager in the world as a 19-year-old. Now, he's had a very up-and-down Manchester United career. He had a poor first season, started the second season well, broke his ankle, came back, had two poor years in a row, was okay in 1819, but nothing more than okay, was poor in 1920, had a good season in 2021 with no fans in the stands, was poor last year. He's had a good season this year. So he's had two good seasons out of his nine years at the club, and United are set to reward him with a new four-year contract, which will take him through to 2028 because he still has a year left on his current deal. So that will actually get him to 14 years at the club. And in 2028, Luke Shaw is going to be 33 years of age. Now, he doesn't strike me as somebody who's going to age particularly well. Um, He is obviously quite heavy set. And he is prone to injuries. This season, he's played 22 games in the league. He's missed some injuries. Last season, he played only 20 games, 32 the year before. That's the only season that he has gotten above 30 games in the league so far. He might well, might well do it this season, but that will be two out of nine. That's That's really disappointing. But what it does point to maybe is that when he stays fit, he's a good player. Now, he is a good player. He's a solid defender. He's a good passer. He's a really good crosser of the ball. He does have defensive lapses and he does have weak points in his game. But I think he's largely just been poorly developed by United. I think he's been somebody who's unfortunate to have joined United in this era where you know he was bought by Van Hal, then he worked under Mourinho, then he worked under Oli, then he worked under Ranić, and now it's under Ten Hag. That's five managers 
in nine years, and that's not ideal for anybody. But I always, when Luke Shaw came through at Southampton, I genuinely thought we were witnessing the the beginning of what would be a really special career. But it just hasn't worked out that way. He's been a good player in his good seasons. He's been well below average in many other seasons. And I can understand United giving him a new deal without without doubt. There's certainly merit to it. But I do think I do think he's going to age badly. And I think United might end up regretting the, the latter years of this contract. Um, further news that is, I suppose, Manchester United related. The Premier League is tightening ownership rules to stop human rights abusers running a club. Now, I wonder, will this be applied retroactively? So can they go and take a look at the people in charge of City and Newcastle and potentially remove them from having any involvement in clubs? Uh, This is clearly aimed at United and the talk of a takeover from Qatar. What we know about that takeover is that the gentleman looking to buy the club does not possess the wealth to buy the club privately or to run the club in a manner such as what we've seen happen at City, at Newcastle, at PSG. So very clearly, the Premier League are aware that while he might claim this is a private bid, it most definitely is not. And United do need someone with deep pockets coming in because they owe $969.6 million through a combination of gross debt, bank borrowings, and outstanding transfer fees associated with associated payments, according to new figures. <clears throat> the club released their second quarter results to the 31st of December. On Thursday, remember United as a listed company have to have full transparency over their financial situation. Unlike previous years, there was no investors call after these results were released as a result of the ongoing strategic review. The review itself is centered on how to meet the club's long-term capital investment needs, specifically for improvements to Old Trafford and the club's Carrington training ground, which is so outdated, it's not even funny. And it is being stressed, is not due to any issues with short-term liquidity. The Glazers can afford to run United as long as United continues to be a cash-printing machine. The principal debt on the club is $535.7 million. That is the debt that the Glazers put onto the club when they bought the club and then basically remortgaged it in a leveraged buyout. So they got all their money back out of the club. In addition, $206.2 million has been taken from a rolling credit facility with another $227.7 million owed in outstanding transfer fees. The club did have $31 million available in cash, but the overall sum remains just shy of a billion pounds in debt. United posted profits of 6.3 million for the quarter. 
they've also revealed that sponsorship revenue has increased 43.2% to 50.4 million over the prior quarter. The club said this was due to the impact of a new training ground, training kit agreement, plus a one-off sponsorship credit they have opted not to detail. Well, that's interesting. Wages were down 20.4 million to 77.3 million for the quarter. You'd wonder how much of that is down to not having to pay Greenwood and Cristiano because they fined him a couple of times. Um, and obviously there's no Champions League this season, so there's no Champions League bonuses. They're on a slightly lower wage for not being in Champions League. Uh, that That is stark. And when you factor in that the Glazers want £6 billion to sell the club, plus whoever takes over inherits a billion pounds in debts. So that's a seven million invest seven billion investment. Carrington, you're probably looking at a hundred million to upgrade the facilities to modern spec and make it an industry leader as it was when it was first built. And then the stadium. Now a rebuild of Old Trafford, which is what's most likely is probably somewhere in that 750 million to a billion range. A new stadium is probably 1.5 billion. But they'd be able to sell the ground where Old Trafford sits. Now, I suppose they could completely knock Old Trafford and rebuild on the same ground, but then they'd have to find somewhere to play for a couple of years. I don't know that City would welcome them too quickly. I don't know that United fans would be overly enthused about the fact of playing at the City of Manchester Stadium or the Etihad or whatever you want to call it. So um, a, a rebuild is probably what's happening. So, you know, you're talking another billion between that and the the training ground. And the academy needs to be upgraded as well. So, you know, all of that together is probably a billion. So all things considered, you're looking for somebody who can just drop 8 billion. Before you factor in the massive overhaul that's needed within the structure of the club, before you factor in the hundreds upon hundreds of million it's going to cost to make that team competitive in this league. I'm sorry, but there's just no possible way anybody can believe that this Sheik, whose net worth is below two billion, has that money. Jim Ratcliffe has the money by buying the club through his business because Ineos can afford to buy the club. He himself, probably not. He could sell a lot of his shares in Ineos, but I don't think he's going to do that. But is he going to want to spend that type of money? I doubt it. I really do doubt it. And for people who think the Glazers are going to clear that debt on the way out the door, you are fooling yourself. Because the debt belongs to the football club. Even though it is their debt, even though they are the ones that put it on the club, 
it is in the club's name, they will not be held responsible for it. They will walk out the door laughing. In the Women's Champions League last night, we had two games. Leon went to Stamford Bridge, beat Chelsea 2-1, thought they were through. It was 1-0 at full time, went to extra time. Leon scored on 110 minutes. It looked like they were true. Chelsea were given a penalty in the 128th minute of the game. A VAR decision. Amielda stepped up. She scores. On to penalties we go. Mielda scores. Marazan scores. Sam Kerr scores. Ada Hegerberg scores. Jesse Fleming scores. Wendy Renard missed. Then Lauren James missed. Sarah DeBritt scored. Jess Carter scored to put Chelsea 4-3 up. And then Lindsay Horan missed to send Chelsea through to the semi-final of this season's Champions League. They will take on Barcelona in a two-legged affair. The first leg on the 23rd, the second on the 29th. And the winner will play either Wolfsburg or Arsenal. Wolfsburg last night beat Paris Saint-Germain. 2-1 2-1 in aggregate. It was a 1-1 draw last night. Alexandra Pop put Wolfsburg 1-up. Diani scored on 30 minutes to make it 1-1. But PSG couldn't find that second goal. And Wolfsburg go through. So Wolfsburg-Arsenal, Barcelona-Chelsea. I would say you have to make Barcelona the favourites to win the competition outright, given that they won it the year before last. And they have been one of the strongest teams in Europe for the last few years. But both English teams have a great chance. Wolfsburg have won it twice, I think 2013 and 2014. Uh, Leon have won it eight times. So for Chelsea to beat them last night is, is a big scalp. They've been the dominant team in the Women's Champions League since it was formed in 2010 as a modernization of the old competition that was there. Leon have gotten to. 10 finals of the 13, which is incredibly impressive. Um, This will be 14. This is the 14th final this year. They've had 10 finals, winning eight, two quarterfinals, including this year, and two round of 16. So that's a really impressive run by Leon, and, and I think it is massively impressive that Chelsea were able to knock them out. Mentioned Wendy Renard there. Uh, she has been included in the French squad, having oh, having announced that she would not be playing in this summer's World Cup to preserve her mental health after a significant falling out with the previous coach. She has immediately come out and said, I'm available under a new manager. And her Bernard, who is not a relation, has... Uh, included her in the first squad. So that's a big plus for France. She is a very, very talented player. She is the uh, the team captain. So of great importance to have her back in the mix. Um, yeah, and that will help. Uh, we do have some sad news. Uh, happy trails 
to Jason Turner, who has passed away at the age of 50. Jason Turner, if you don't know, was the chief executive of Knotts County, had been in that role for seven years now, had done a fantastic job at turning around a club that genuinely looked like they were going to be a Bury or a Macclesfield and end up out of business. Now, they are top of the National League. Wrexham do have two games in hand, but they're well positioned to come back into the Football League. And he has played a huge part in their turnaround. They, if you remember, they had that bizarre ownership situation where allegedly the owner was going to put loads of money into the club. He was going to spend whatever it took to make them a top flight team. And then it turned out he didn't actually have any money. You know, there was a, I think Sven Goran Eriksson went there. Um, If I'm not mistaken, wasn't Saul Campbell there for a while? Yeah, Sven, Sven, I think, was sporting director, maybe. Sven Gorn, I think he went there as sporting director. Let me just check that now. Am I wrong about this? No, I don't think I am. Yeah, he went to Knox County as director of football in... 2009, following the club's takeover by Middle Eastern Consortium Munto Finance, with Ericsson getting reported $2 million a year to go there. Saul Campbell and Kasper Schmeichel were the two big-name signings. Campbell played only one game. Schmeichel was released at the end of the season, having signed you know a multi-year contract. Uh, county's large debts, including an unpaid tax bill, emerged in November 2009. And in the February of 2010, Ericsson resigned when the club was taken over by Ray True. To be fair to Ericsson, he did waive a multi-million payoff in order to assist the takeover because um, he, didn't, he didn't need the money. Uh, at the end of that season, they did get promoted to League One, and then it just all collapsed around their ears. They sunk down through the divisions, back into League Two, out of the Football League. Their debts were an anchor around their neck. They were never able to spend any kind of money or anything. They changed managers a bunch of times. And eventually they fell out of the league. And to be fair, it took a lot of hard work, but people like Jason Turner were key to turning things around and getting them into a position that they're in now, clearing their debts, having them in a much better financial situation than they have been. Oversaw COVID, which could well have seen them off. But um, yeah, that is that is sad news. Um, I think I said a happy trails. I meant a melancholy trails. Um, that is that is just it's sad news, especially the timing of it as well. Um, unexpected family and friends must be just devastated by by this news. Um, 
after Youngman's son came out and apologized to Antonio Conte, Richarlison has done the same. He has denied that he led a player's mutiny against the manager and said that it is nothing more than an awful lie. He has apologized to Conte for his performances this season. I wasn't a mutiny leader against him. It was quite the opposite. I'm sorry I did not deliver as much as he expected of me and I didn't do enough for him to stay. When he left, I sent him a message thanking him for everything and wishing him the best because that's what he deserves. It was a claim by a journalist from Argentine broadcaster TYC Sports that Richarlison and Christian Romero had given their club an ultimatum over Conte's future. I would say that is nothing more than a bold-faced lie. If there were players involved in getting rid of Conte, I think you need to look at more senior players who may have been against him, including uh, the current England captain, who has yet to comment on Antonio Conte's departure. Um, We'll do the gossip and then we'll go to break. Chelsea want as much as £70 for Mason Mount, despite him entering the final year of his contract. Um, yeah, you're not going to get that. Uh, you're not even going to get close to that. Mount is interested in joining Bayern Munich and being reunited with his former manager, Thomas Tuchel. German champions Bayern Munich are close to completing a deal for Chelsea's English assistant coach, Anthony Barry. Declan Rice is not a target for Bayern and they did not hold a meeting with the English midfielders' representatives this week. That is slapping down one of the many lies told by Christian Folk, CF Bayern on Twitter, a known spoofer. Saudi Arabian club Al-Halil have offered to make Lionel Messi the best played player in the world. Fair. Major League Soccer club Inter Miami are hopeful of signing Messi and Sergio Busquets for next season. Tottenham and England striker Harry Kane remains Manchester United's top target. But Mohamed Kudus and Goncalo Ramos are among their other options. Well, Mohamed Kudus isn't the number nine. Certainly not in the way that Ten Hag uses his nine. Um, he's played as a false nine before, but he couldn't play there for, for this fella. Uh, Manchester United hopes of signing Netherlands midfielder Frankie de Jong could be boosted by Barcelona's pursuit of Ilke Gundogan. Gundogan's agent has denied that Man- that the Manchester City captain has made a decision on his future, although he is open to a move away. Interesting. Uh, Vincent Company has emerged as a leading contender for Tottenham as they seek to find a successor for Antonio Conte. Too soon for him. Too soon for him. West Ham are likely to part company with David Moyes at the end of the season, regardless of whether or not they go down. Uh, it is Graham Bailey and, and you know, someone else at 90minute.com, but you can generally call it spoofing, but it is the right move. Uh, Leeds could turn to Patrick Vieira if Javi Gracia does not stay on in the summer. Well, they gave him a contract till the end of the season. I, I wouldn't be keeping him anyway, uh, but I... I yeah, Vieira, I could see Vieira working there. They've got a lot of talent there. Um, Americ Laporte is a target for Paris Saint-Germain. 
a football insider, Peter Rourke, spoofer. Chelsea and Tottenham are set to battle to sign Inter Milan and Italy defender Alessandro Bastoni this summer. Tottenham have been long interested in him, but obviously that was largely driven by Conte. I think he stays. He's got a year left in his deal. I assume he'll sign a new one. Spurs may look to make the move for Clement Longley permanent. Uh, Very unlikely. Very, very unlikely. Arsenal will try and sign Eric Garcia in the summer after being rejected by the player in the January transfer window. He's not a very good centre-back. Manchester City and Paris Saint-Germain have made initial bids for Luka Voskovic, uh, but the Croatian side are in no rush to agree a deal because they know a host of clubs across Europe are interested. If you have, like, half an hour someday, just go through the Croatian underage national teams and have a look at the sheer volume of talent they have in those positions. It is very, very impressive. They have an immense crop of talented young centre-backs coming through at a variety of different clubs. Keep Keep a look for a kid called Sven Sopic who plays for Dinamo Zagreb. Um, he is 16. He'll turn 17 in the summer. Um, he's he's one to really keep an eye on. Very, very powerful, aggressive young defender for a kid his age. Uh, so he's one to keep an eye on. There's, there's a bunch of others, though. So do keep an eye there if you've got any interest in that sort of thing, of course. Um, Brighton's 18-year-old Evan Ferguson wants to continue his development with the Seagulls despite interest from several several Premier League clubs. The best thing he can do is stay there, and that's what he will do. He will make his decisions based on what's best for his career and his development. It's the reason he went to Brighton over Liverpool and Manchester United. This is a really smart kid with his head firmly screwed onto his shoulders, He won't go anywhere just because he thinks it's bigger and shinier. Several Premier League teams are interested in Andreas Christensen. He's a really good defender. I think Barca would be mad to sell him. I think he's been really good for them this year. Ansu Fadi remains keen to succeed at the La Liga club despite his lack of playing time. David De Gea says he is still happy at Manchester United as talks over a new deal continue. Uh, Rodrigo could leave leads this summer if they're relegated. I'd imagine there's a few with that type of deal. Oliver Giroud is set to sign, Olivier Giroud, is set to sign a new deal with AC Milan that will run till next summer. AC Milan have offered Naby Keita a contract, or sorry, have been offered Naby Keita ahead of his departure from Liverpool when his contract expires. Jose Mourinho has told Roma he wants to honour his contract, which runs till 2024. There had been rumours he would leave the club amid interest in Paris Saint-Germain. I'm delighted he's going to stay, genuinely. I want him to win the Europa League this season, and I want him to take Rome into the Champions League. I I love Jose. I think he's I think he's box office. I think he's a great manager, one of the all-time greats. He's not the manager he once was. That's undeniable. But 
what he's done in the game is phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. When we look at a guy who at Porto, at Porto, won a UEFA Cup and a Champions League in back-to-back seasons, along with back-to-back league titles and a cup, that's immensely impressive. Goes to Chelsea, back-to-back league titles. Then he wins the FA Cup and the League Cup the next year. That was his second League Cup with them. So, League title and League Cup. League title, Cup double. That as a three-season run is incredible. Obviously, moves on to Inter Milan, wins back-to-back league titles. In the second of those seasons, he wins the treble, wins the Copa Italia and the Champions League. Moves to Real Madrid, wins the Copa del Rey. Then the following year, wins La Liga. Comes back to Chelsea, wins a league title, wins another League Cup, moves on to Manchester United, wins another League Cup, wins the Europa League, goes to Spurs and fails because they're Spurs, moves on to Roma and wins the Conference League. Like, I don't care who you are, that's an unbelievable run. An unbelievable run. What he did at Porto, Chelsea, Inter and Real from, let's say, January 2002 until June 2012, a year before he left Real, when he just won the league title. That, as a 10-year run, 10-year, six months, but 10-year run, that is absolutely mind-boggling. Seven league titles in four different countries. Bear in mind, he was out of the game for over half a season between when he left Chelsea and when he joined Inter. He left Chelsea in the September of 07, didn't join Inter until the following June. So it's actually a nine and a half year. It's it's a nine year run. Let's let's start it in the in the June of two thousand and two. The first full season, first full season of Porto wins the league. The next season wins the league. Like that's amazing. League title, league title, league title, league title. He had one season, one season in the two thousands where he was a manager for the full year with a club, with one club, where he didn't win the league title. One season between the summer of 2002 and the summer of 2010, that's eight years, of which he was a manager for seven, and he won six league titles. Ridiculous. And then that league title at... at Madrid was up against arguably the best or second best club side ever. I think the second best, many people say the best. I would put Saki's Milan over Guardiola's Barca, but many people would say Guardiola's Barca. And Jose was able to take a league title off them. What a manager. 
what an incredibly good manager. And I know people don't like him and whatever else, and that's fine. Perfectly entitled to not like him. I think he's one of the best things that ever happened to English football. He's the worst thing that ever happened to Arsenal Football Club, though, because it was his arrival that spawned, uh, that saw the end of Arsenal as we knew them and kind of the end of Wenger as we knew him as well. Right, we'll take a break. When we come back, we will be joined by Guy Drinkle and we will run through this weekend's Premier League fixtures. So I'll see you in a sec. Right, welcome back. So, we have a full slate of Premier League games this weekend, which is nice. Nice just to have games, although the first game, Mr. Drinkle, fills me with terror. 4-1, let's move on. (laughs) It is Manchester City versus Liverpool, and we're not going to spend any time on it. I'm going to say 3-1 to City. Guy's gone 4-1 to City. Carol Matchett said 4-0 to City. So that'll tell you where we are on this one. Let's move on to the 3 p.m. kickoffs because that game doesn't deserve any more conversation. Yes, if you want more details, head over to AI. Um, Dave's done Daily Red and an AI scouted on it. So if you want more details, go hop on over there. But not confident, as you can tell. Moving on then to uh, the 3 o'clock kickoffs. Arsenal against Leeds. Um... If I remember correctly, maybe it's updated since the press conferences. Arsenal do come into this game with a few 50-50 injuries that that could make a difference in games like this, with Party being 50-50 and Saliba, that's two-thirds of the spine, really. Um, but Leeds probably have injuries as well that would probably stop them from taking advantage of injuries like that, like... Tyler Adams missing. I think that's the sort of player you'd want there to take advantage of a Thomas Party missing. Yeah, massively. Tyler Adams not being available is huge. And so is Wilfred Nonto, whose pace and just that burst mm-hmm. that he has, that explosive burst from like zero to a million miles an hour, I think could have caused Arsenal some problems. Uh, Max Wober is also out, so that's a big blow at centre-back. Uh, no Stuart Dallas, no Adam Forshaw either. Arsenal, no Tommy Asso, he's done for the season. No Eddie Nketiah, uh, no Elneny, he's out for the season. Saliba looks like he's out as well for this one. And then you're looking at Partey and, and Kieran Tierney also having knocks. Now, this does raise the question of if Saliba is out... And Tomiyasu is out. Who starts at centre-back? Because you can't really afford to move Ben White if Saliba, if Tomiyasu is not fit. So does that mean Rob Holding plays? Does it mean if Tierney is past fit, he goes to right back? Maybe. He's played a couple of games there in the past. It's not ideal, but he is pretty two-footed. Um, I- I'm guessing it means Rob Holding. 
And if Partey misses out and Rob Holding is the centre back, it will leave Leeds or will leave Arsenal a little bit vulnerable, but you'd still fancy them to win comfortably uh, against a very poor defensive team in Leeds. This used to be like back in the, the late days of the old first division and the early days of the Premier League, this was a good rivalry. There was real dislike between these clubs, um, especially when George Graham took over at Leeds, having been Arsenal manager and having to resign in disgrace. This was a proper good rivalry back in the day. So when Leeds got promoted, this and Leeds versus United and Leeds versus Liverpool were games I, I, I looked forward to. So I am looking forward to this one, but I do think Arsenal will run out comfortable enough winners. I'll go 3-1 to, to the Arsenal. Yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd agree with that. I think Arsenal should be favourite for games like these. Um, but moving on, we've got Bournemouth against Fulham. Obviously, Bournemouth beat Liverpool a couple of games ago, but then followed it up with a bit of a hammering against Villa 3-0. Um but Fulham are without Mitrovic, who's probably their second most important player behind Polina, or certainly one or two, I'd say. Um, and William, who's been probably one of the big surprise packages of the season so far, because I think everyone thought, well, he retired three years ago. Mm. <laughs> but Bournemouth are strange, because, well, Liverpool's not really canon this season, because they don't do logical stuff. But outside of that... I think it's a good opportunity for Bournemouth, but I wouldn't say with any confidence they could get a draw or a win. No, I wouldn't have any confidence in them either. Um, now, they are at home, so that does help. They're hopeful they'll have Zabarni in for the first time, and that will be massive because he will improve their defence single-handedly. Um, Tavernier could potentially be back, and Junior Stanislas could be back. So they could have everybody available for the first time all season, which would be big. Fulham have no Cabano, no Mitrovic, no Willian. Shane Duffy could be back, but it's unlikely. And Kurzawa is done, I think, for the season. I'm going to go for a draw in this one. I don't have any faith in Bournemouth, but Fulham without Mitrovic is is a different kettle of fish. So I'm going to go for the draw. I'll go 1-1. I still think Fulham have enough to be the better team in this game. But without Mitrovic, I do worry about them not being able to score enough goals. If Mitrovic was playing, I'd actually back him to score multiple goals in mm-hmm. this game because Bournemouth struggle in the air. Yeah, But uh, I'll go 1-1. My man of Solomon will score a worldie at some point. So, you know. Most likely. Most yeah. likely. Now, if Pelinia steps up with a big goal as he has a tendency to do, maybe that's how they win the game. But... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm struggling to see. I'm struggling to see much of anything in that game. Yeah, absolutely. Now onto the battle of the two well-run clubs in the league. We have Brighton against Brentford. Um, extra spikes for Liverpool here, Dave. We can go to eighth in the league, which, as my Twitter name uh, hints at, Operation Finish Eighth is back on. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. The yeah. the potential to avoid the. All the Europas. All the Europas, which would be great. I think I misspoke on the two on the Daily Red today and said that Brighton had two games in hand on Liverpool. It's actually one game in hand on Liverpool. Um, Brentford have actually played the game more than Liverpool, so I was wrong on both counts. But all level on points, and if Liverpool gets spanked by City, or even just lose to City, say 1-0, and this game ends in a draw, both of them 
will go above the Reds. I think Brighton will win this game, though, at home. I think I'd back them to win. I love both of these clubs. I think they're just brilliantly run. I love how they're how they're run. I love how they operate. I love how they go about their business. They are very similar in so many ways. Obviously, there there's a there's a, a bubbling undercurrent of rivalry as well because they compete for the same type of players. They yeah, have the same sort of yeah. operations base, and and they you know it's who does what better. Mm-hmm. And obviously, the owners have a long term rivalry from. Their past, they both they both made their fortunes in gambling. Um, Tony Bloom with Brighton, Matthew Benham for for Brentford, and they've done things the right way. They've come into division the division the right way. They've built the right way. Brighton have established themselves as the Premier League club. Brentford are well on the way. This is year two. They've avoided that second season syndrome that hits a lot of clubs. Um, they're both fun to watch. I think Brighton are the most attractive t- team to watch in the league. Under De Zerbi, I think he plays magnificent football. But the one thing I will say is I really like how Thomas Frank is pragmatic in his approach. He can set his team up to be a possession-based team or using the same players, he can set them up to counterattack. And I really like the flexibility that they have with that. Mm. And, and that might come into play here because if Brighton overcommit a little bit, Brentford could potentially punish them on the counter. But I'm going to go 3-2 to Brighton. I think this is going to be a really good game. I kind of, well, I didn't ask this or mean to do once we were doing his podcast earlier in the week. If you combine these two teams, how far do you think they'd be off? Not the title, because I think that's a step too far, but mm. as just a every year top four team. Obviously, they're kind of both in the mix this year, but in a regular year. If you combine these two, do you think they would be the top four, because it'd be almost boring saying putting Tony in Brighton's team, they'd probably be already up there. But Yeah, I mean, like, I love Evan Ferguson, but there's no doubt Ivan Tony is a better player for now. So you put Tony in as the nine. I so think... I'd have Raya over Sanchez. Raya for certain will be the goal. So you go Raya in goal, you go... As Stupinen is the left-back, I think he's better than Rico Henry. Mm. I think I'd play Hickey as the right-back. I think he's better than Veltman. Yeah. I think it's Duncan Colwell, though. I think they're the two best centre-backs between the two clubs. And I think Webster's the third. So I think they have Brighton at the advantage of centre-back. It's Caicedo. And I think I'd go Vitali Janolt as the two midfielders and push Alexis into the number 10 role. Mm. And then Mbomo on the right, Matoma on the left, and Tony up front. Now, if Kevin Shade pops, he might be the one that takes that right wing role. I think that's a team that probably is a top six team and yeah. can push for the... This season, I think they'd be a top four team. But in a normal year, I do think it's a top six team. I do interesting. Think Which manager would you take? I'd take the Zerbi. Yeah. I think Thomas Frank is excellent. But I think Thomas Frank might have a ceiling of Europa League football. You know, I think if you were looking to finish fifth or sixth, maybe push for top four, 
I think Thomas Frank is the guy you go for. I think if you're looking to compete to win major honours, I think Deserby can be that guy. I think he is. I think he's really good. I think he's really, really good. I, I think his possession-based play is probably the best around right now. Um, I think if you gave him City's players, I think he walks the league. I think if you gave him Arsenal's players, I think he walks the league. Now, I'm not saying he's a better manager than Guardiola. I'm just saying I think his style of play, because I think I don't like how Pep has his team play. I think they're quite boring. Whereas De Zerbi's football with the movement, with the transitions, with the, the patience they play with, like they don't, City move defenders around with the ball and try and create an opening, whereas there's a patience with Brighton where they wait for the team to move to them and then just ping their way through them. And everything's done at speed. It's very deliberate. I think he I think he's a better manager. I, I think it's I think they're both very, very good. I do think they're very, very good. But I, I would go for Deserby. And I, I I think I'd probably go for this. If Klopp left tomorrow and you gave me a choice of any manager in the league to replace him, I think that's who I'd go for. Over over Pep. I think I'd go for him because I like the football more. Yeah, plus I think Pep, once he saw the summer transfer budget, would leave. Yeah, that's exactly <laughs> it. Pep, Pep would be out straight away. Um, but well, if you You're missing a zero, John. <laughs> but if you look at the Liverpool team and you put them into how Brighton play... You go Darwin up front. I think he'd love Darwin. Mo and Diaz on the wings, I think, are perfect for how Deserby wants to play. Look at the goals he's getting from Solly March this year. Yeah. You, you think Mo wouldn't do really well in that system? Um, I think he would need a 10. Like, they use Pascal Grouse or Lalana in that number 10 role. I think Liverpool would obviously have somebody better. They'd have to buy them, but they'd have somebody significantly better than those two. It's a shame Naby Keita got ruined. Naby would be very, a very good fit. A very, very good fit. But Fab and Thiago would work in that midfield. Now I'd rather Caicedo than Fabinho at this point. Uh, but Liverpool's defenders as well would work really well. How, the, only, the only thing that might not suit perfectly is he does like a left-footed, left-side centre-back. And Liverpool obviously have Virgil but because of passing angles. But Virgil can play pretty much any pass you want anyway, so that's fine. Alisson is the perfect goalkeeper for him. I think if, if Liverpool had the Zerbi, I think he would need two players, two starters to put them back among the elite. A 10 and a defensive midfielder. I think if you gave him Caicedo, because you could just give him Caicedo and Alexis as the 10. Yeah, pretty much. And, and I think it would work brilliantly. But let's say Caicedo and... Do you know who'd be really good under him? Is Gabri Viega, the, the kid at Celta Vigo that's been linked with a lot of Premier League clubs. Mm. He would fit that Pascal Gross role really well with his intelligence and his movement and his ability to slip passes between the lines. Uh Zabozlai would fit it really well, especially with his, with his long-range shooting ability. Verts, who we could be linked Florian, to. Yeah, actually, you know, you've nailed it there. Florian Verts would be would be perfect. You go with Caicedo and Thiago with Verts in front of them, that is, that is different class. 
different class. You could go another way. You could, you could go Romeo Lavia and Thiago, and then you know Lavia would be cheaper than Caicedo, so you can also go and find your Thiago successor. But yeah, I, I think the Zerbi. I, I think he's going to win multiple league titles in the top divisions over his career, and I think he's going to win multiple Champions Leagues as well. Didn't Juve already turn him down? Yes, yes, yeah. they did. That went well. Smart <laughs> anyway. club. You know who? Yeah. You know who the director of football was when they turned is, him down? Is it the bloke who's ruining? Spurs, yeah, Paratici. Um, so clever guy. They turned him down now after Paratici as well. Uh, they turned him down twice. Which is just going well. Just fantastic. They could have got him when they got Sari, and they said no and went for Sari. At least they won the league with Sarri. At least they won the league, but like he was gone after a year. Yeah. Um, they all, they definitely could have gone and gotten him when they appointed Pirlo as well, and that again was Paratici. But good lord, I forgot they hired. Yeah. They hired Pirlo to be their under their under twenty one manager. Yes, with no experience, and this was to be you know he's going to spend three or four years in this role, and then the plan was if he does really well, he becomes first. He becomes the first team manager, and then they sacked Sarri and just gave the job to Pirlo. Um, yeah, so yeah, well done Juventus. Uh, clever decisions all round. They should never sack Sarri. Jesus. Um, Anyway, tangent, but I thought it was an interesting one. Uh, we can skip this one, Crystal Palace Leicester. I mean, we could do the opposite of what we just did and make the worst team. <laughs> um, but Palace, I mean, your Hodgson manager, obviously, just about. But no, I mean, this is a this. I think this is a bit of a depressing game to be honest. Here. I mean, Palace in a horrendous run of form, just hired back a manager who was long past his best anyway, but even that Watford spell must be terrifying for Crystal Palace fans uh, to think what he's coming into. It certainly should be. It certainly should be. Um, Again, though, there's like, if everybody's fit, there's a really good team to make between these two clubs. I think it would surprise people that I would suggest, I think there's more... Palace players in it than Leicester players. Neither goalkeeper is, is great, but Gaeta is better than Danny Ward. I think like there's three there's three keepers at Palace that'd probably get in. Yeah, a hundred percent. A hundred percent. I'd go young Christensen the left back from Leicester. If James Justin was fit, I'd pick him at right back, but since he's not, we go Ricardo Pereira. Yeah. It's the Leicester centre backs of Anderson and Guehi, without doubt. Yeah, definitely. in central midfields. It's Decore. It's Decore. It's a shame Ndidi broke. Yeah, if Ndidi hadn't gotten broken, it would be him. But since he did, we'll go Tielemans. Olise, Madison, and Eze. Do you know what? I'd actually play Eze in a double pivot with with Decore. Decure and Eze, Olise, Madison, and Barnes as the three. And then up front, I mean, Ianacho is the is the one who I think when he's at his best is the best player. You pick Vardy but, for vibes. <laughs> Vardy for vibes, Daka because of the promise he shows from time to time. Edward, because I know he can be really good in front of goal and he's probably got the best all-round game other than Ianacho. So you probably go Ianacho, see if you've got Zaha up there. 
Oh, Wilf, yeah, Wilf would be fun. Actually, yeah, there's the pick, Wilf. So you've got Barnes, Madison, the two fullbacks. I've got four from Leicester and seven from Palace. And I know people have said, oh, you've makes, got to pick, yeah. you've got to pick Thielemans. No, I don't. Have you, have you watched him play this year? It's not three years ago, to be fair, is it? I can't run anymore. Yeah. We'll do no more combined 11s. But this game, Dave, I mean, I think it's becoming a shock how bad Leicester actually are, because I think most people thought Mm. they had a mini turnaround, but they're sat in 17th, four losses and a draw in the last five, and the draw was last game against Brentford, which is a good point, to be fair. And they're a point ahead of West Ham, who've got a game in hand on them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, I mean, to be fair, discussing with Tad again earlier in the week, Southampton have improved under their manager. I mean, you look at their form. It's two losses, two draws, and a win. Well, that's better than pretty much everyone around them till maybe Leeds. No, to say it, no, it's one win less. It's the same as West Ham. Yeah. It's the same as Everton. But Everton, uh, Everton's has been the last three games they've taken five points. It's better than Forest. It's better than Leicester. Do you know? Do you know who has the most points in the bottom nine? Is Leeds. They've got seven points. Next is Bournemouth with six points. And then Everton, West Ham, and Southampton have five points. Leicester and Palace have one point each from their last five games. And if it so these, these are the two worst teams yeah. in the league on form. I mean, if Leicester loses, I think. Mean- I don't care if they can't afford it. You've got to sack Brendan. You've got to get rid of him. You've got. Yeah. He should be gone by now already. Mm-hmm. They've lost 16 league games, Guy. Deep. Only yeah. Southampton have lost more, and it's won more, and they've played a game more. So Leicester could well tie them for the most defeats. Like That's shocking. 47 goals conceded. It's the third worst in the division. Only Forrest, who've been pumped a bunch of times, and Bournemouth, who got pumped 9-0 by Liverpool, have conceded more. That's appalling. They're blessed that they've been able to score a bunch of goals. They've scored the most goals of anybody below Brentford. Fulham have scored the same number of goals, and everybody else has less goals scored. I mean, Newcastle sit fifth. They've only scored one goal more than Leicester. But they've conceded 26 goals less, which is, that is wild. insane. Um, the, th- the thing for Leicester, though, is if they win this game, they could go to 12th because everything's so condensed. You've got four points between 12th place Palace and 20th place Southampton. So the league is just massively congested at the bottom. I'm going to say Palace win this game at home, though. I think Roy will get a little bit of a bump and I think they'll win this game at home. I'll go 1-0 to Palace. Screams of a draw. Roy Hodgson's just came back to draw games. <laughs> um, moving on then to Forest against Wolves, another relegation six-pointer. Forest don't have any players, Dave. No, Forest have Forest have all the injuries. So, now, let me just... <clears throat> Chris Wood out, Woody Bolly out, Dean Henderson out, Serge Aurier, major doubt, Andre Ayew, major doubt, Wayne Hennessy should be back, 
Scarpa should be back. Scott McKenna, major doubt. Awaniye should be back. Koyate is a major doubt. He's only just back from months out. There's no shot he's playing. Ryan Yates could play. Emmanuel Dennis should play. Brennan Johnson is a major doubt. Bianconi's out and Omar Richards is out. That is 15 players out or a doubt for this weekend. That is painful. Uh, Wolves, for their part, are without four, maybe five. So Kalasic is out. Chiquinho's out. Johnny Otto is suspended. Huang is a major doubt. But Semedo's back. Bubakar Traore's back. That's a big one because he, he has been missed in midfield. Yeah, something And different. Hugo Bueno should be back, though Aitnuri is better than him and should be starting over him. Um, it's tough for Forrest. It really is. But they're at home. And their home form has been pretty okay this season. So I'm going to go for a Forest win. I'm going to go 2-1 to Forest. Yeah, I don't think it'll be the best game either way. No, it'll be ugly. Yeah. I think this next one might be a bit ugly as well, and that's Chelsea against Villa. This is on uh, the late TV. This is the Sky Sports slot. Um, the battle for 10th. Well, yeah, to see if Villa can get in the top half of the table. But I think that was probably every aim once he came in. I mean, he was Definitely. never going to sneak into Europe, was he? And Chelsea, they're not going to get top four. I know the Champions League isn't this week. Um, so basically, it's just trying to take stuff into next season because they're not going to sack Potter because it'll cost a bazillion pound by the sounds of it. Um, yeah, so I think it's just about Chelsea trying to build something after the mm. Dortmund game, but they just didn't draw with Everton after that. So Yeah, and they've got a lot of injuries as well. Yeah. I mean, Villa, no Maddie Cash, that's a blow. No Coutinho, that's not a problem. Uh, Dandonker and Kamara are back. Kamara being back this quickly is massive because it looked like he might be done for the season. Um, for Chelsea, no Brohia, no Silva. Kai Havertz is sick. Aspilicueta should be back. Mason Mount could be back. Edward Mendy is working towards coming back, but probably not this weekend. Raheem Sterling is back in training, but probably only fit enough for the bench. Aubameyang is still out. Fafana should be back. And Reese James, he should be okay. Um, but Chelsea just, they can't score goals. I mean, 29 goals scored this season is is dreadful. Um, they've only conceded 28, though, which is, is impressive enough. Uh, it's the fourth best defensive record in the league. But a big part of it is because they've been uber defensive at times to protect uh, a certain old Brazilian man. I really want Villa to win this game purely because I just think it'd be hilarious for Chelsea to fall into the bottom half of the league. And I'm going to go for the draw because that's what I see happening here. These teams are neck and neck, 38 points. Goal difference separates them. I'll go for a 1-1 draw. Villa have been decent away from home under Emery, which surprises me. I don't like it. And Chelsea have struggled at home. Like, a 2-2 draw with Everton is a shocker. They scraped past Leeds at home. They lost at home to Southampton. They drew at home with Fulham. They scraped past Palace at home. Even Dortmund, it was 
and oh. basically Dortmund without their whole attack. Yeah, and they needed a rather questionable penalty mm. to uh, to give them the win. So yeah, I'm going to go for a draw here. I'll go one one. Yeah, Ollie Watkins in the form of his Premier League career as well, so it should mm. be an interesting one. Uh, moving on to Sunday, then another a lot of relegation six points this weekend. Uh, West Ham against Southampton. I mean, West Ham are stanky, and yeah, it does feel like out of all the clubs down the bottom, except maybe Leicester, it feels like the most toxic. Might even be more toxic than Leicester, because I think. Leicester, they've still got James Madison who performs well, whereas West Ham, Bowen's not stepping up, Rice isn't stepping up, um, none of the new signings have set the world alight. No. It, it just it feels like the most toxic down there. And Southampton, I think since the new bloke came in, at least it basically it's not Nathan Jones anymore. <laughs> um, I would make an argument yeah. that West Ham are the only club in the league this season who don't have a single player that can say I've had a good season. Like, I think if you look at Southampton, I think there's been a couple that have had good seasons. I think Lavia's had a good season. I think Walker Peters has had a good season. Belakotchup's been impressive, despite the fact that he's underperformed his expected goals against. I think Gavin Bassuna's done quite well. Uh, At Bournemouth, I think Neto has had a good season for them. I think you can make a, a strong case that Jefferson Lerma's had a pretty good season. Uh, nobody at, at yeah. West Ham, like like you said, Leicester, Madison, he's had a really good season. Uh, at Forest, Gibbs White and Brennan Johnson. At Everton, Onana's had a good season. Seamus Coleman has had a good season. At Leeds, there's a few that have had good seasons, like Tyler Adams, like Nonto when he's had opportunities has played well. Um, at Wolves, I think you can look at Ruben Neves and Max Kilman both having had good seasons. At Palace, Elise's had a good season. I think Decoure's had a good season. I think Anderson's had a good season. I think Guehi has had a drop off from last season. And then obviously the further up you go, I mean, there's not many at Chelsea, but Reese James has had a good season. At Villa, you mentioned Ollie Watkins. He's had a great season. Fulham have had a bunch. Brentford have had a bunch. Brighton have had a bunch. Liverpool have had a few. Like we've Allison's had, had Allison. a great season. <laughs> I think Darwin's had a good season. Yeah, to be fair. Uh, think, until he got hurt, Diaz was playing out of his skin. If Mo well. Salah wasn't named Mo Salah, he'd be having. He'd be having team. a good season. Like Newcastle have a bunch. Tottenham Kane has clearly had a good season. I think Hoysburg's had a decent season. Yeah. Um, there's a bunch at United obviously led by Rashford there's a bunch at City obviously and a bunch at Arsenal most of Arsenal. At Arsenal yeah. but I look at West Ham Fabianski's been poor all the fullbacks have been poor Agard is probably the only centre-back that hasn't been poor but he hasn't been good and he hasn't been fit enough Yeah, Rice has been a shambles Suchek can't move all of the forwards have been crap like not even just bad pure crap there's not one person there that can say they've had a good season. There's not even a youngster like Ben Johnson. No. He's had an, a, a poor season. Yeah. And like, again, you'd look at the managers and you'd say, right, well, Southampton have a caretaker. Bournemouth have a glorified caretaker. Uh, Forrest, I think Steve Cooper, newly promoted, I think he's done okay. Dyche has just come in. 
Leeds have changed manager. Wolves have changed manager. Palace have changed manager. There's only three clubs in the bottom the bottom half of the league. In fact, there's only three clubs in the bottom 11, including Chelsea and Villa, that haven't changed manager this year. One is Forrest with Cooper, and the other two are Leicester with Rodgers, who can't afford to sack him by all accounts, and West Ham with Moyes. And why they haven't moved on from him, I have no idea, because he's clearly out of ideas. It's very clear that the newer players brought in don't want to play for him. It's actually crazy how many managerial changes we've had this year. Like, Spurs are fourth and they sacked the manager. And I think, to be fair, I think all of them are just the far. I think the harshest one off the top of my head is probably Vieira. But as you mentioned, their form's that drastic. Mm. It was awful. But it just yeah. looked worse because they hired Roy Hodgson and now their fixtures are going to get easy. And if he does keep them up, he's like, oh, Master Strong, your fixtures have just got easier. And you were 12th <laughs> when you took over anyway. Yeah. Like, I know you're only three points off relegation, but you are 12th. Um, so he will get he will get credit, of course he will, because it's Roy and the English media lives on the English. backside and talks about love gammon. But like, you know, Spurs changed my I think that one was I think that was a mistake, but whatever. I do, but after that press conference you, you couldn't, could you? <laughs> I love the press conference. Like Brighton changed manager not by choice, but you know, they Worked did. <laughs> Chelsea changed right. manager, Villa changed manager, Palace, Wolves, Leeds, Everton. Bournemouth and Southampton, it is only those three clubs of the bottom 11. And it's just those three clubs, Fulham, Brentford, Liverpool, Newcastle, and the top three. The rest of them, you'd say, are probably the safest jobs. Yeah. Maybe in world football. Yeah, I mean, United only changed manager in the summer, so they weren't going to change manager this quickly. Klopp would like, have to literally set fire to something to get sacked at Liverpool. By literally, literally, and if, even if he did, they'd probably make excuses for him. Yeah. Um, did I pick a result in this one? I did. It doesn't. Let's matter. have a look at injuries. It's Jay Adams is a doubt. Salisu is a doubt. Larios, Livermento, and Bella Kotchup are all out. So it's going to be a a different a different vibe in defence than it has been for chunks of the season, but. Maybe a bit more experience is what they need. And, and obviously the results have picked up a little bit with some more of that experience. For West Ham, Fabianski is fit again, but they're still worried about his face. Ariola is just a better keeper and should be in the team. Actually, do you know what? He's the one that could probably say, I've had a decent season. Because most of his games were in the Europa Conference League and he's done well there. The league has been Fabianski's mess. Uh, Antonio, they're hopeful he'll be back. He's a shocker of a season. Um. I'll go the draw. I, I don't. I just don't have any faith in West Ham. I'm, I'm going to go for a draw. Yeah, I think I'll I went. Through. I think I went with Southampton. One one. Sorry, one one. Yeah. I think I went with Southampton on today. Was pod. Um, I just want to see Romeo Lavia dog walk Declan Rice because everyone else has done it this season. It's like a rite of passage. If you were looking at what single player has had the most disappointing season this year. Most people would rush to point at Trent and Van Dyke. Declan Rice is right in that conversation. He has been mm. nothing short of shambolic this season. And to go from 7th to 18th is a bigger draw. I know we were second and a million points ahead of third. But... Yeah, but they were 7th last year. They were 6th yeah. the year before. 
and now they sit in the bottom three. And if they were to lose this weekend and Bournemouth got a draw, they'd end the weekend bottom of the table. Which is very well, it's just very embarrassing. Likely. Yeah. Yeah, and it's completely realistic that it could happen as well. Mm. It does smell of sacking and then getting They've been linked with Rafa Benitez for about 15 years now. <laughs> probably oh, Big Sam. It'll be Big Sam. 100% Big Sam. Back to West Ham where he was before. Fantastic stuff. Um, yeah, it's, it's a big weekend of games. To be fair. Uh, we've got two more left. Newcastle against United. Um, Man United don't have any midfielders that are good. Well, Fred, I think Fred's good. But anyway, um, they're going back to Mick Fred. Um, because Casemiro's out and Sabitz is injured, I think, mm. um, and I can't remember who else they own. Ericsson. Ericsson, of course. And Newcastle, I think they've got uh, people coming back from injury and stuff like that. But, um, yeah, we saw this game in the League Cup final, and it was a bit boring, but with people, Casemiro missing, Sabitz are missing, Ericsson missing, if Newcastle have Gimares and um, Jolington fit, they should just run run over the midfield, you'd think. They should, they should. Uh, no Donny van de Beek, no Casemiro, no Eriksen. Sabbats are a major doubt. Martial's still not fit. Raf- Rafa Varane should be back, which does help. Um, Rashford should be okay. Tom Heaton is injured. Garnacho is injured. And Mason Greenwood uh, is a scumbag. So there's that. Um, but there's still some players out for Newcastle. Almiron is out probably for the whole month. Mm. Uh, Joe Linton's actually oh he's back he was suspended the last game so he's back Anthony Gordon is a doubt so Maximum Pope and Botman are all fit which is good uh, Ryan Frazier is banished and Emil Kraft is a torn ACL so he's done for the year um, it's up in Newcastle I fancy the tune I do I fancy the tune to win this one did you so see I'm, Gareth Southgate call Maguire Man United's best centre back? By the way, yeah, yeah, I did, yeah. I did, yeah. He's Gareth probably about fifth, isn't he? <laughs> well, he's definitely fourth. Yeah, he's definitely fourth. Like I don't discussion about Twan's heavy. <laughs> Luke Shaw's probably better than him anyway. Centre back, <laughs> yeah, so he probably, probably is true. Yeah. Because Varane is the gnome is Lindelof is, and I think Luke Shaw is. Yeah, he's probably fifth. Like, it's telling that in big games this season, the manager has picked Luke Shaw at centre-back and Malashi at left-back rather than Harry Maguire. So that tells you where he looks at it as well. Uh, Gareth Southgate's a moron. What an idiot. I'm going to go for the tune to win 2-1. Yeah, I think that one might be a bit boring. Now, on to Monday, where this has the potential for every meme under the sun. Um, we have Everton against Spurs. This could be funny either way. Who knows, Dave? But Spurs, basically, I think it's basically Ryan Mason's the manager, isn't it now? Let's be honest. Um, and Everton, they've improved massively under Sean Dyche, but I don't think that was particularly hard. It's just whether they can score a goal, because with Calvert-Lewin being made out of damp crisps, it's they just need goals from random places, really. Yeah, I mean, Calvert Lewin is still is is still out. Um, Andros Townsend is still out. So, you no know, no, no forty yard world he's <laughs> Um Spurs though, no Emerson. That's fine. They've got Pedro Porro. No Ben Davies. That's a blow because he's the best left side centre back at the club. 
Uh, Basuma is almost back, which is good, but he won't be back for this one. Uh, Perisic should be okay. Hugo Lloris is back training. Now, he's had a bad season, but he is better than Fraser Forster. Uh, Ryan Sessignon is a doubt. Richarlison is a doubt, and Bentoncourt is out for the season. Um, Harry Kane is scoring in this game. He just is. Spurs will like... If if Newcastle win, Spurs will go into this game fifth, and Newcastle have a game in hand on them, so that will put a lot of pressure on Spurs. But I do think they go to Everton and win. I just don't think Everton are any good. I just think they're such a poor team. Do you it's, think they'll revert to back to a back four as well? That's probably a good question to ask. Spurs, yeah. With with Davies out, it's possible. But it, 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 but they don't really have a left back. back. Yeah, like that's the problem because Langley could play left. It'd probably be better for him. Ugh, yeah, just, I, just stand there, not play. Just stand there and don't do anything. They could play Perisic there. He's done it in the past. Not great though. Um, no, I think they'll stick with wingbacks. I do. I think they'll stick with wingbacks because the squad was built to play with wingbacks. Yeah, the I think that's what they'll do. Um, I'm going to go for Spurs to win this one 2-1 and lots of boos to ring around Goodison at full time because I think I, I think it's going to be fairly feisty and I wouldn't be surprised if the referee has to involve himself a couple of times in things that... Everton fans find to be a great affront to them. Well, if Richarlison's fit, that's going to be a regular. If he's fit, he scores. I I want him to celebrate like he's never celebrated before, right in front of Seamus Coleman, who then ends his career. <laughs> that that's would too, be that's too hard. That would End be perfect. Season. Yeah, be absolutely perfect. Yes. Uh, right, we will leave it there. Then that is that is all ten games. Uh, thank you as always for listening. Thank you to Guy. And we will see you next time. Bye-bye. Podcast Network.